0: Some of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life is setting boundaries with family members, especially when it pertains Mm to family get togethers around the holidays. Mm -hmm. But you know what? If they can't respect your boundaries, they're an asshole. So you need to you need to be able to stand up for yourself because nobody else is going to do it. You need to be your your own advocate.
1: If they respect you as a person, they're going to follow your boundaries. (laughs) Yeah. I don't care if it's your mom. I don't
2: care if it's your favorite cousin. I don't care if it's the person you think is your best friend in the whole wide world. If they don't respect your boundaries, they don't respect you. I don't care if they think your boundaries are crazy. They don't
1: respect you. Hey there, welcome to Tater Talks. Two bitches talk fitness. I'm Brooke. And hello, I'm Iris.
2: On this show, we challenge the common understanding of what it means and what it takes
1: to be fit and healthy. We explore all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and mental health without the fluff and BS. So grab a coffee, get ready to laugh, cry, even learn a thing or two. Let's get into it. Welcome
2: back, everybody. Today, we have Matt Vandelaar on the line with us. I don't know if listeners know this, but last August, I had the opportunity to traumatize myself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Climb Mount Katahdin in Maine with a handful of friends, including Beth Farakko and Matt. Yes. Uh, So I had the chance to get to know Matt a little bit on that trip and really excited to have him on the pod today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really I've been looking forward to it for a while. And, yeah, that was an amazing trip, wasn't it?
2: Amazing, definitely the most difficult uh, physical and mental thing I've ever done in my life.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I love how you outlined the, or highlighted the mental toughness part of it because that oh. I mean that really if you're not mentally in it, you're going to give up. And yeah. that was definitely one of the most for, for myself, obviously, because I got injured on the trip. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very mentally taxing, but um, it's definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done as well.
2: Yeah, I think that was a valuable learning lesson for all of us, because I think every one of us, there were six of us, right?
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, six of us. I think every one of us had a moment of like pity party. And then snap out of it because what else up. are you gonna do? <laughs> <Yeah>. Am
0: I <laughs> yeah. gonna give up halfway up this mountain? I'm still gonna have to <laughs> yeah. go down either way. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Helicopters like five grand. We're not doing that. Yeah, so totally. let's get your shit together here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, welcome to the pod. Thank you. We're excited to have you. Tell us everything you want us to know about you. What how'd you get into this fitness game? What's your story?
0: Sure. So my name is Matt Vanderlar. I go by the name Larfit on the socials. And, um, I've been online coach since the end of 2019, um, start of 2020, but I've been personal training and and doing things in person since about 2016 or so. It's, I say 2015, 2016 ish, um, because of the way that I got started. I got started kind of on accident. My, my father, um, had a stroke at the end of 2015. Um, wasn't a serious stroke, thankfully, but it was like a wake up call for him and, you know, I was in the prime of my fitness at that point. I had been working out steadily for three or four years at that point, got my nutrition in order and and everything. And so he turned to me for help um, with, you know, starting to live a healthier lifestyle. So well, what we did is we started him strength training with me. He was literally just doing the same thing I was doing in the gym. Um, and then his, he started cleaning up his diet on his own after that. So he took that first action. That was kind of like the catalyst for him to, to get his health in order, which was just, you know, lifting some heavy weights with me. From there, my brother-in-law, my brother, and some a couple of my closest friends started working out with us as well. So I had this group of like five people going to the gym with me every day. I was writing their programming and everything. Everybody's doing their own thing at that point. And I was, I was really passionate about that. I loved I loved seeing the confidence that they were getting in themselves and and how strong they were getting. And, you know, my brother-in-law, I I still make jokes to this day, how quickly his bench press blew up. Like he was bench pressing (laughs) more than I was within the first year. And I was like, man, this is bullshit, you know, but he's, (laughs) he's, he's a naturally strong, big bodied person anyway. So he had that working for him. So that's kind of where it started. And I continued doing that part-time for a couple of years while still working in corporate. Um, So I was, I was balancing corporate life with, you know, parenthood, um, taking care of myself and trying to pursue my hobby and what made me happy, which was, you know, helping other people, um, 2019 or so, um, I was burnt out like, Hey, I can't continue doing this. I can't continue waking up at four o'clock in the morning and training people for two hours and then going into work for 10 hours. You know, I kind of continue doing that. So like, there's gotta be a better way. Well, I had worked with an online coach in 2016 myself who had helped me learn macros and macro tracking and the, if it fits your macros, um, approach. Um, I was like, he he can do it. I can do it. Right. So um, I I started literally like, Hey, I, I started just by getting on Instagram, writing programs, wrote workouts and things like that on there. Didn't do much with nutrition until 2020 or so when I started actually taking on paid clients. that's where it kind of all kind of took off from there getting in it at the right time essentially with the beginning of the pandemic i started on tiktok blew up um, on tiktok within about six months or so of just being super fucking consistent well i should say it took me a couple months to start being consistent first and foremost so these are lessons we can learn to our own health and fitness too is consistency trims all it doesn't matter if you're doing something poorly as long as you're doing it consistently you're going to see results from it um so once i really started being consistent with that i kind of blew up and the rest is kind of history from there and now the these days, I, I work with chronic dieters to help them break free of that dieting mindset we love that. by working on like the all or nothing thinking and a lot of those, those thinking errors that we have. Um, so that they can sustainably lose fat and improve their health and wellness. Nice. That was a nice, long spiel. Yeah.
2: No, I love, <laughs> I love it. it. Awesome. We love that, uh, chronic dieters breaking free of that yeah. around these parts. Yeah. Fuck diet That's- culture. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting thing, because I think a lot of people have like their own individual idea of what diet culture is. And some people would be like anyone who ever tries to lose fat ever is like just diet culture. And like, yeah, you know, for sure. What, how do you what do you think? How do you define that? I have a feeling it's similar to the two of us. P- but,
0: probably. Essentially, the way yeah. I look at diet culture is society trying to fit you into their idea of what's perfect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, which for, for women, of course, is usually be as small as possible, be as thin as possible. Otherwise, you, you're you not, you know, you have no worth, which is bullshit. So, you know, I look at diet culture as any way of eating or exercising or even thinking or talking to yourself in a way that's going to have a negative impact on yourself long term. Um, that, that diminishes your value, that makes your self-worth kind of tank. That's, that's the way I look at diet culture. I don't look at it as if you try to lose fat. That's no, that's fucking bullshit. That's not diet culture. Some people need to lose fat for health reasons. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to lose fat for aesthetic reasons, too. And I really take an issue with the people that say that losing fat is inherently diet culture or bad because that's just another extreme where diet culture is one extreme. The people that are all out here preaching no fat loss, no whatsoever, like that's an- another extreme. Let's find a fucking balance in here somewhere.
1: Yeah, because yeah. that can be very damaging to people who need to lose fat for health reasons. Like, yeah. I think that, you know, there has to be that delicate balance. And I mean, I definitely agree, like, love yourself where you're at, but it's OK to want to change, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you entirely. Change is not bad. If we're not changing, we're dying, in my opinion. So we should always be wanting to change and strive to be better. Um, if you're staying the same, what, what the hell are you doing?
1: Yeah, you're yeah. not growing, not you're making not growing. progress. <laughs> yes. hmm.
2: Same page, brother. Um, and I think <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I don't
0: <laughs> that's like uh that reminds me of Hulk Hogan. Hulk. Hogan. Like, <laughs> yeah. you do in Hulkamania? Brother. What you doing, Hulk meaning you, brother. brother.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Listen, I've had two and a half cups of coffee and pre-workout today, so nice. I am a uh, wired. You're,
0: you're you're fired up, ready to go. <laughs> I've actually I've only had one cup of coffee and I don't take pre-workout anymore, but I've been trying to <laughs> wean myself off of coffee. Not wean myself off completely, just bring it down a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I never do both except now in this deficit, my coach Ocean was like, you know, you're still in a healthy range of caffeine. If you need it, go for it. And boy, today did I need it. So (laughs) there we go. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we're on the same page there. And like both Brooke and I are currently in calorie deficits for aesthetic reasons. And it's hugely the mindset we approach these things with, right?
0: Yeah, it really is. And you know, going back to the compl- people complaining about saying that fat loss is is a bad thing. Like, what, what, what? In my opinion, what they're doing there is they're projecting their own values onto somebody else. But they're also saying like, "Hey, you're okay with your body. You're like, you're beautiful as you are. Just don't try to change how you are." You know. So they're like, you're, "I accept you as you are, but only if you don't try to change yourself." And that's bullshit.
2: Yeah, yeah, agreed. And it's cool to see though this has happened in my life and Matt with you is like, when you start doing the things, the people around you see how your quality of life starts to shift and then they start doing it too. And then their quality of life starts to shift. And it's just Mm -hmm. this, it's this great trickle down effect when you do things the right way,
0: (laughs) Totally, when you do things
2: the wrong way, it's a nightmare for everybody.
0: It really is. Cause then you're, then then you're, uh, you're feeling like shit, you're grumpy and people see you struggling and they're like, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to be drinking three shakes a day and ugh, <laughs> eating ugh. eating fruits and vegetables and nothing else. No. Yeah.
2: That quote unquote healthiest meal of the day that just tastes like potting soil. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Points for whoever can guess what we're talking about. Anyway, one of the things that you incorporate into your coaching practice, which we really like and that we haven't really talked about on the podcast yet is eating mindfully. Mm hmm. Because we're both of the mind that even while tracking calories or tracking your intake in some way, if you're not implementing some strategies of eating mindfully, you don't miss the point.
0: Yes, totally. Because you can take just your calorie tracking, right, and track 500 calories of your meal. But if you eat it in 30 seconds without paying attention to it. What are you actually getting out of that? You're not getting any satisfaction out of that out of that. You're you're not letting your body do its thing by sending the appropriate signals that you're no longer hungry. You're you're really doing yourself a disservice if you're if you're not being in a calorie deficit while being mindfully, mm-hmm. for sure.
1: I love that. Yeah, because I know that it's what Iris said. It's like, what's the point if you're just scarfing down food as quickly as you can and you're not actually paying attention to those hungers and fullness cues? You're really not going to set yourself up for success when eventually, because the goal of tracking is not to track forever. So learning to be mindful as you're tracking is so helpful. Learning and collecting data as you track, I think that that's something that some people have a tendency to drop the ball on is they're not paying attention to things like portion sizes or their hunger and fullness cues, or even just like eating without distraction. Because even with eating with distraction in front of the TV, with your phone, that can also mess with those hunger and fullness cues. So I love that you you incorporate mindfulness because I try to do the same thing with clients because in order for them to someday not track, they need to be able to listen to their bodies.
0: Yes, totally. We don't want our clients tracking forever. And that's that was the natural transition for myself. You know, having started, well, first of all, I started doing all kinds of fad, stupid bullshit <laughs> back in the day, you know, intermittent yeah, fasting, keto, low same. carb, <laughs> psychology, you name it. Um, But once I discovered macro tracking, like I was like, yeah, this is great. I can eat pizza, still lose fat and feel good. Like, this is amazing. But of course, you know, I didn't want to track forever. I knew that. So I did that for a couple of years, got a really good foundation there. And then just started kind of being in maintenance, really. But then I kind of discovered mindful eating, which kind of took it to a whole new level there. So, you know, if I had a time machine, I'd go back and do it all together. Mindful eating while macro tracking and things like that. When we first started working with a client, For the first two weeks, we put all tracking um, on, on hold, tracking calories and things like that. But what we do is we implement a mindful eating journal um, for the first two weeks, to help us raise awareness to their eating habits, to their behaviors around food. This will help us identify whether somebody's a stress eater or emotional eater. Why are they grabbing potato chips at ten o'clock at night? We can usually reverse engineer that to figure out what kind of what happened earlier in the day, what's missing from their life, um and and kind of fix that relationship with food. And that's really what mindful eating is designed to do is to help you repair your relationship with food
1: mm-hmm. I love that.
0: And it's like what what Brooke said too, with eating in front of the TV right who who hasn't done it? <laughs>
2: who hasn't? Oh, yeah. yeah, and that's
0: a very real struggle for many people. and mm-hmm. it can get out of control really quickly when you're just putting handful after handful into the bag of potato chips, you're not you're not making any type of a connection there. You're not being mindful of doing that. Your brain isn't seeing you pick that food up. so you're 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 not getting any sense of satiety. And next thing you know you're fifteen hundred calories deep into a bag of potato chips, And you're like, holy fuck what just happened, you know Where did that all go? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm still exactly. hungry.
1: <laughs> and then, you know, cause chances are people aren't snacking on things like protein or right. vegetables. Exactly. Or, you know, exactly. Like, they're not, they're not sitting there like, you know, cutting their steak as they're watching TV, Yep. you know? And that's why, like, I suggest things to my clients, like when it comes to mindfulness, like, Hey, you know, if you do want to watch a movie and eat popcorn, how about you portion size out the amount of popcorn you're going to eat And keep it there, not eating directly out of a bag, because that's where a lot of mindless eating comes in, is if you're just eating directly out of the bag. Always portion it
0: out. Always portion it out. Mm Yeah. Put it in a bowl, put it on a plate, whatever you have to do. Just don't eat directly from the bag or container.
2: Yes. Do you find that it helps people to kind of redefine what a snack is? And what I mean by that is, you know, we have all the stereotypical snacky foods like the aforementioned potato chips or popcorn or whatever. Maybe have some of that stuff, but a smaller portion and also have like some string cheese or mm-hmm. cottage cheese or like cucumbers in like a Greek yogurt dip or something else that has some protein and some nutrients and also pair it with the other stuff that you just taste
0: good. Totally. Mm -hmm. There's always a time and place for that. You know, I like to call them fun foods. Diet culture will call them bad foods or unhealthy foods or off limits or whatever. No, it's just fucking dirty foods, foods, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dirty foods. Like, no. (laughs) Yeah. So the way we look at it with our clients is before we start eating, is this the right food for me at the right time? And is this the right amount? Right. For instance, you're not going to have a snack of potato chips before going and crushing a heavy leg session. (laughs) Right. I would hope not because you're going to feel like shit. Um, it's not going to it's not going to give you the appropriate amount of energy that you need to, to to sustain you through that workout. So what we do then is we start looking at, OK, well, what kind of foods can provide you that nourishment and that energy to get you through that workout? So um, there's always a time and a place to have the the potato chips and the cake and things like that. It's just, you know, it can't be all day, every day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's that it's learning what that balance looks like, that moderation too when you're separating serving sizes or you're, you know, managing your portions, things like that. It's super important for people to really learn what this actually looks like because what I used to find with clients, now not so much. I mean, when I first started doing like online coaching, like really trying to move people out of tracking calories and what I found was that people number one get terrified because they're like I don't know what to do, or their eating habits completely change <laughs> when they're not mm-hmm. tracking. Yeah. So that's something that, you know, I've noticed and incorporating more mindful eating over the past couple of years with my clients has been so beneficial because then they it builds that confidence that they need to stop tracking eventually.
0: Yeah, it shows them that they can do it. And and, and it doesn't matter how big or small it is, especially if you're starting small, just by building up, you know, those little small wins throughout, like, holy shit, I can do this. I reinstilling that sense of confidence. It goes a long way. For sure.
2: I think checking in with your body while you're eating, too, is a big thing, which (laughs) guilty is charged. Been there, done that. Been there, not done that. And then you find out you're just way past the point of being comfortably full. Mm hmm. Do you find that a lot of people don't know what it feels like to be just satisfied?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. The majority of our clients have been dieting for so long that they have no idea what real hunger feels like. They have no idea what satisfaction feels like. They know what feeling stuffed feels like. They know what feeling starved feels like. They don't know anything else in between because they're in this constant state of being famished or overly nourished in terms of how much food they're eating. There is no in between. Um, so that's definitely a real struggle.
2: How do you help them figure out what that feels like?
0: So a couple of different ways. Uh, what we do is, like I said, with that food journal, right? The food journal, uh, we we log before and after we eat. So what we do, we do a check-in with ourselves before we eat. Um, what am I doing? Who am I with? What am I craving? What's my mental and emotional state? And then you rate yourself on a hunger scale of one to 10. And then you do that same check-in after you're done eating and you see what's changed and you do the hunger scale all over again. Um, So for instance, like the hunger scale um, is literally like a one through 10 rating system. You really want to be at about a six or so, maybe a seven on on the hunger scale to be appropriately satisfied, but not overly, overly stuffed. So like uh, one is beyond hunger. You know, I'm just looking at my my uh, hunger scale right now. One is beyond hunger. You may have a headache and experience dizziness and a lack of concentration. Your body feels totally out of energy and you need to lie down. 10 on the hunger scale is I'm beyond full. This is a typical Christmas day sort of feeling. <laughs> you're you're physically miserable. You don't want to, or you can't move. And you feel like you never want to look at food again. It's not a good point to reach. So we want to find that balancing act. So we we never want to get to a point of eating where we get to a one or a two on that hunger scale. And we don't want to get to a point where we're like eight, nine or 10 as well. Um, So being more proactive with our nutrition, planning ahead. um, Maybe we have a long travel day or something. Maybe we're not hungry at the time, but we know we're going to be on a plane for six hours. So maybe I should eat something now so that when I get off of that plane, I'm not going to be ravenous. So kind of just, you know, just working on habits and skills like that.
1: Yeah, I love that you have like an RPE scale for nutrition. That's (laughs) awesome. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, oh, okay. I rate of perceived exertion. I feel this. (laughs) Yeah,
0: totally. But we do good with the number systems, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think people can relate to it a lot more too. Like they know, you know, oh, on a scale of one to 10, where should I be? Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier for somebody to really comprehend that and wrap their mind around it.
0: Yeah. And what's nice is... Using a hunger scale is individualized. A seven for me is going to be different th- than a seven for you, Brooke, just like a seven is going to oh, yeah. be different for Iris. Um, and that goes back to the portions thing as well. Portions are individualized as well. So you see these portions that are on packages and things like that. Those are de- definitely general guidelines, but that doesn't mean you have to have just one portion of of whatever it is. Like me, for instance, I eat you know thousands of calories a day and I'm, I'm able to maintain with that and that's okay. But um, my portions are going to be bigger than somebody that's only eating fifteen or 1,600 calories. You know?
2: That's oh, yeah. a good point that you bring up and I'm glad you did because I see that float around every once in a while. It's like, well, a serving is x let's say like microwave white rice is like 90 grams that's yeah. nothing no. and people are like that's so little uh-huh. yes it is you don't it, it's a guideline exactly what matt said i have like two or three <laughs>
0: exactly. 90
2: grams of rice when i have rice
0: they're giving you information so you can plan for it so if you are you know so you're aware of what you're putting into your fucking body exactly doesn't mean you have to just stop at that one portion it means you should still be able to fuel your body
2: yes yes what about special situations, meaning like holidays or going out to eat or in-laws in town
0: mm-hmm.
2: where you may not know the food situation. First of all, I'm glad that you brought up planning because that is the hack that so many people fight because they want to keep the spontaneity and the fun. And I would fight that because I think you can do both. It Just takes a little bit of practice. But let's talk about like the more special occasions and being mindful when you have like literally no idea what kind of food is going to be there, what kind of family drama is going to be going on, <laughs> any <laughs> of that stuff.
0: Totally. So especially with the family drama and holidays and things like that, that can be very triggering for, for people and, you know, make us want to stress eat and things like that. Or we get the food, the food police, right, from our relatives and, and friends and things like that. So it's a slippery food police slope. And so.
2: Food pushers.
0: Yeah. F- yeah, exactly. I oh, just have one yeah, more yeah. piece. You sure you don't want one more piece of pie? Like, no, actually, I'm really good. Yeah. So it's it's just being aware that you're going to be around in these environments and preparing yourself for it ahead of time. But it also goes to setting boundaries as well, um, which is, which is very hard. Some of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life is setting boundaries with family members, especially when it Mm -hmm. pertains to family get togethers around the holidays. Mm -hmm. But you know what? If they can't respect your boundaries, they're an asshole. So you need to you need to be able to stand up for yourself because nobody else is going to do it. You need to be your, your own advocate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that from, you know, personal experience. Hey, Brooke, you know, why don't you have this? You know, they, for example, my former fiance and I, we would go to his family's get togethers and everybody brings a dessert. And everybody expects everybody to have a piece of everyone's dessert. And mm-hmm. of course, there have been times where I've grabbed one one dessert and it's like, oh, well, you need to try this. You need to try this. And so it can be very hard to lay those boundaries. But as Matt said, like if they respect you as a person, they're going to follow your boundaries.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't care if it's your mom. I don't care if it's your favorite cousin. I don't care if it's the person you think is your best friend in the whole wide world. If they don't respect your boundaries, they don't respect you
0: as a person. Absolutely. Agreed. I don't care
2: if they think your boundaries are crazy. If they don't respect them, they don't respect you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's something Flat I'm out. very passionate about. <laughs> Extremely passionate about. think are on the same about. page
0: there, yeah.
2: Yeah. And also, the fact that once you set a boundary, it is your responsibility to hold it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, absolutely. yeah, in a perfect world, everyone would respect it and it would be fine. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. So we have to be firm in our boundaries. We have to be strong in our convictions, as they say.
1: Yeah, I like that you say that, Iris, because I mean, it really is about following through. Mm -hmm. You know, if you set that boundary and you tell that person, hey, this is my boundary, you have to follow through with that if they try to cross it, because that's something that I've noticed with, you know, my clients and things like that is they're like, well, I set this boundary, but they crossed my boundary. And it's like, no, it's your responsibility to (laughs) enforce that boundary Mm -hmm. and let them know, you know, there are going to be repercussions for your actions. If you do that, I'm not going to come over. I'm not. This is where my boundary starts. And this is following through with that, I think, is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And I can set them all day. Best case scenario, they may have just forgotten.
0: They could just need that reminder. And that's, you yeah. Know, to approach it with kindness at first, you know, but if they're, cons- if, but if they're consistently disregarding your boundary and pushing your boundary, then it's time that you actually need to be a little bit more stern with them. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah or have a serious conversation, sit down and say, Hey, listen, I want your support on this, but if you're going to continue to do this, then, you know, we're going to have to take a break. We're going to have to create some space here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like you said, like, hey, uh, Aunt Sally, like, I love you, but I really, you know, it makes me feel uncomfortable the way you talk about my body or what I'm putting into my body. I would I really just would appreciate it if you kept those comments to yourself. If she can't respect that, then it's like, OK, well, I'm either not going to come over here anymore or depending on who's hosting the get together, you're not going to be welcome here anymore.
2: Yeah, I 100%. mean, I've, I've had some people in my life where I've had to just flat out say, like, my body <laughs> is not a topic of conversation, mm-hmm. period. I love that. And if you can't respect that, I'm just going to walk out the door. For sure. I'm just going to leave.
0: Because I tell you what, everybody will remember the time that Iris left the party early because Aunt Sally was being an asshole. Yep. Yeah. That'll be a hard lesson for people to to kind of learn there, too. But sometimes those lessons are necessary.
1: Yeah. I totally agree. It's just standing up for yourself, supporting Mm -hmm. yourself in any situation. Yeah, because realistically, at the end of the day, the only person that affects is you. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't affect Aunt Sally, it doesn't affect the other people. It ultimately affects you. So making sure that you're giving yourself that respect to follow through is super important. Oh yeah. Totally. I love I love this conversation
2: and I <laughs> I wish I wish I could just shake some people and like get it into their heads that you can set these boundaries and this is a thing that is okay to do. And if you have specific goals for your life, you have to do that if you want to get anywhere near them. So I love that. Back to the eating mindfully, though. Yeah. In a situation where you just don't know what's going on. What would you tell people concerned about that situation?
0: Yeah. So the food situation is completely out of your control. You have no idea what's going to be there wherever you're going. Right. Mm -hmm. That's okay. If we can't get an idea of what's going to be there, we we are still going to just try to be mindful. So whatever the food that we eat, I don't care if it's cake, pie, whatever, we're going to eat it mindfully. So we're going to sit down with our feet on the floor. Feet in the seat is a saying that we like to say. And we're going to eat it mindfully, but we're going to slow down while we're doing it. We're going to eat with our non-dominant hand because that's going to fire up a different section of our brain and it's actually going to make us think about the food that we're eating. It's going to give us that more perceived value. So we're going to switch opposite hands for our utensils. We're going to chew our food and we're going to savor our food. We're going to try to pull out the flavors of the food, the textures of the food, the temperature of the food. We're just going to focus on the food and then eating it, enjoying it and how it's making us feel. No matter what the food is that you're eating. I don't care if it's a chicken breast with broccoli or if it's a piece of pie, it doesn't matter. We're going to eat it mindfully.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm totally taking that. That (laughs) non-dominant hand thing really was like, whoa, hold on a second. I know you're learning a
0: new skill, too. I'm learning (laughs) a new
1: skill. My clients better watch out. I'm going to be unstoppable. (laughs) Yeah,
0: there you go. I love it. Love it.
1: Yeah, I love that. It's kind of the
2: same idea as like journaling, writing things with your hand instead of poking it in on a phone. It forces Mm -hmm. you to slow down and actually pay attention to what you're doing and process it in a way. Process the food you're eating.
0: Yep, yeah, I know when I do my journaling, um I hate writing, so I journal on my computer and my I actually leave voice notes for myself as a, as a way of journaling. Mm. But when I write it down on paper it just has more of an impact, I feel like, because yeah. it, it, it it's you're actually having to think about it. I can type I can type 100 plus words a minute, so I can I can clear my brain very quickly, but I'm not actually processing that stuff.
2: Yeah, that may been speaking Taught you well. <laughs> the thing that I find when I'm journaling writing, which I don't do that often, admittedly. But when I really need to get something out of my brain, I do write it with my hand. But because it's forcing me to slow down, I'm able to see how ridiculous I'm being sometimes. (laughs) It's like, did you really just think that? Like, come on now.
0: (laughs) For sure. And and mindful eating isn't just about eating it's it's really just a raising awareness to every aspect of your life when you start practicing just being mindful it's going to trickle down to every aspect of your life it's going to impact your personal relationships it's going to impact your professional relationships it's going to impact the way you talk to yourself and the way you think about yourself because you're just slowing down if nothing else just please slow down when you're eating and that's going to have a big impact just right there
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah
0: for sure and on that note of slowing down too, something that I like to do, is seconds, right? Everybody wants seconds. Everybody wants a second plate. That's okay. But what we do is we wait 15 minutes and then we get the second plate, but it's a set, it's a half portion of what we had the first time. Most of the time in my experience with my clients is they don't actually want the second plate if they give themselves that 15 minute pause. So implementing a, a good pause or stop is really important too. And that can go not just to, to just your eating, but that can go into triggering situations when maybe you're having an argument with the spouse or something Just a five second pause, collect your thoughts, slow down, breathe. And that Mm -hmm. has a big impact instead of just lashing out the first thing that you say. And then you're like, fuck, why did I say that? That was such an asshole thing to say, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The
2: power of the pause.
0: Mm -hmm. The power Mm -hmm.
2: of the pause. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Forcing yourself to take that pause and actually think about what you're doing.
0: And that's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. Forcing ourselves to slow down.
2: Especially when we're in a fight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Especially when we're in a fight, for sure. So mindful eating is uncomfortable at first. Um, Practicing mindfulness is uncomfortable at first. But in my opinion, the opposite of mindful is mindless. And that's pretty fucking uncomfortable too.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, when you start to focus on mindful eating, it really does transpire throughout your life because then you can practicing that while you're eating you can practice that you know with a partner you can practice that with I I know a lot of parents that listen to this so you can practice it with your kids before responding to your kids really just making it so you're not as reactive you're more objective I think is so important
2: mm-hmm.
0: you're not letting emotions run the show anymore
1: yes yep got to, Log- logic. Logic <laughs> got to bring in logic you got to bring in logic
0: we do we do
1: yeah reactive
2: reactive living really just bites people in the ass totally, over and over and over again. We're just Mm -hmm. reacting to everything. And a lot of times those reactions are just blown way out of proportion because we're not taking that time to pause and be mindful about what's going on. Nailed it. And then it just makes everything worse. And you're right. It isn't comfortable in the moment, but but, like any skill, we get better at it the more we do it.
0: Yeah. It it does take practice. And I think that's what a lot of people get wrong too, is when it comes to skills, they want to be good at everything right away. Like they expect to be fucking perfect. And you're, it's, we are already setting ourselves up for failure right there by you expect to master a skill the first time you do it. Like who has ever done that other than maybe like child prodigies or something. Right. I mean, literally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, with mindful eating is is maybe newer to me in the last couple of years, really. Um, it's probably 2021 is when I really started to learn more about mindful eating because um, I was noticing with my clients, they were really struggling and it, it was because they had a really poor relationship with food. And some people can work through that just by checking calories and macros and things like that. I know I certainly did, but some people need to take that mindfulness approach, even if that's not necessarily a goal of theirs, but it's going to benefit them in every way.
2: Yeah. So what kind of things do you talk about with a client to see if maybe they should just set aside the tracking for now and really lean into the mindfulness of it? Because like we've, I mean, all three of us, tracking is a tool, Mm -hmm. not a lifestyle. Mm
0: -hmm. Not
2: everybody should do it. A lot of people would be better off not doing it. But how do you know what person maybe should let it go for a little bit?
0: If they've been constantly trying to lose fat for years on end to me i don't want them tracking right away when they when they when they first start with us they've been trying to do this for for years so there's mental fatigue there they're mentally just tapped out from trying to diet constantly they're probably not in touch with their hunger cues and things like that so the amount of time they've been trying to diet is essentially a, a really clear giveaway there mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: but you you definitely get some resistance to that too right away
2: oh i bet <laughs>
0: Because when people come to us for help with fat loss, they want to lose fat and they want to lose fat now. So it's our job as coaches is to take what they want, which is fat loss. But what they need is to repair that relationship with food and learn to trust themselves again. When they do that, when we give them what they need, that makes the want that much easier to achieve, you know, six months from now. So it's delaying instant gratification essentially. Um, if you can get them to buy into that, then then you're really you're really cooking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, instant gratification.
0: <laughs> it's yeah. a killer. It's a it killer really for any
2: kind of any kind of progress. <laughs>
0: hmm. Hmm.
2: I just posted a a reel and had a little spiel in my stories the other day about it's okay to tell yourself no sometimes, and I think that is going back to the diet culture thing. I think that is one thing that people just automatically slap disordered on mm. is when someone says no. Like I was giving the example of. We have a very, very good ice cream place super close to my house. And they have a turtle sundae, which is out of this world. It's like 900 calories. I'm just not going to go there when I'm in a deficit.
0: It's probably half your daily calories right there. Yeah.
2: While fully internalizing that, like, if I really wanted to, I could at any moment. It's just a choice that I'm making and I still have something sweet every day.
0: Yeah. I agree. There's nothing wrong with saying no. Yeah. It's why are we saying no is is really the question we should be asking ourselves.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not because I'm yes. afraid of the ice cream. It's not that I don't trust myself if I get the ice cream. It's not because right. I still I mean, I have ice cream in the fridge. It's just not a 900 calorie turtle sundae. Yeah.
1: <laughs> sure. I have to ask what ice cream place are you talking about? So I don't want to say because it's like hyper local.
2: I'll tell you and then I'll cut it out. There's one like two minutes from my house and then there's another like 10 minutes from my house.
1: We don't really get a lot of that up here in the Pacific Northwest. We're we're popular for coffee, sure. not ice cream. Sure.
0: yeah.
1: Though I am a little bit of a coffee snob. I can't go to Dunkin' Donuts anymore. Just can't do it. <laughs> I mean, not the, same.
0: the lines alone are not worth it. So yes. <laughs> at least at least here our local Dunkin' Donuts is atrocious for their wait times. You could be the only car in line and you'll be waiting 10 minutes to get a Oh my black gosh. Coffee. So, That's insane.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we went the first time I went to Dunkin' Donuts, I asked them if they had a half and half, like the cream. They're like, Oh yeah, we have that. And I said, Oh, okay, cool. I'll get a iced coffee and I'll do a splash of half and half in your sugar free vanilla. And they go, Oh, okay. I drank vanilla flavored milk. They thought half and half was half cream, half coffee. No. (laughs) Oh, no. And then the sugar-free vanilla was unsweetened. So it was just a little twist. I'm like, oh, this is why. Why am I like this? I (laughs) should have specified.
0: (laughs) You take those things for granted.
1: Yes. (laughs) The
2: only time I've ever been to Dunkin' was in Maine. And they were so confused when I just wanted a black coffee just a black coffee. <laughs> I don't want any sugar. I don't want any cream, just like coffee <laughs> cup, put it in there.
0: <laughs> so do, you, do you both like your coffee black or Brooke? How do you like your coffee?
1: I do drink my coffee black. Each yeah, morning. me too. So, so I drink I. black coffee also. And people are like, so like I'm working with our coach, Christy on Beth's team. And uh, she's helping me with my nutrition and really getting dialed in. And she's like, more power to you for drinking black coffee. I'm like, well, if you drink good coffee, you don't need anything in it.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's true. Exactly. Like I'm not a huge coffee snob. I grind my own beans and I do I use a French press, but that's as, you know, advanced as I get. My brother is definitely taking it much further than I have. He's always getting like these local roasted beans and everything. But what I was gonna say too, though, is with black coffee, that's actually one good thing that came out of diet culture for me was black coffee. Mm, um, oh, really? <laughs> from my days of doing intermittent fasting. Kind of have in my coffee in yeah. the morning, right? Turns out I fucking love black coffee. I love big, strong, bold flavors like that. Yeah, which is why I love like Cabernet and things like that as well when I do drink wine.
1: Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I that's really funny. like the bitterness.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah,
2: totally. It goes back to the mindset, though. That's like the little things we pick up and we choose to let go when they don't serve us, but the other things that do. It's yeah. just 100% the mindset around it. Like I don't eat past 6.30 because I sleep like garbage. It's not because I'm afraid it's going to make mm-hmm. me fat. See? It's yeah. just the intermittent fasting days. <laughs> I eat much earlier than 11 a.m. now. It's just the little things that we shift the mindset behind. And that's something I've said before, too, is sometimes the things we need to do are the same actions, just with a completely different different mindset
0: (laughs) reframe the the kind of the the narrative around it right yeah Yeah. like i love that you just said that because about intermittent fasting because that's individualized to you now you're not fasting because somebody told you you can't eat past 8 p.m or you get fat if you eat past 8 p.m you're just like no it just makes me feel like shit and that's a very valid reason for Mm -hmm. no longer eating past a certain time so that's what we're talking about your that was mindfulness right there Mm -hmm. so that's what mindful eating helps you to to learn then too is Oh, like when I when I eat this certain food, I feel like shit afterwards because we're we're just in touch with our body again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely.
2: It all comes back around.
0: <laughs> it does. It does.
2: <laughs> coffee tangents.
1: <laughs> <laughs> milk tangents. Coffee milk. milk. I still can't believe that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would have burned me the wrong the wrong way too. What the fuck are you guys doing here?
1: Exactly. I'm like I'm like that's a little bit light. It was like the color of my water bottle. I was like, what yeah. is this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Makes sense.
2: Um, what about vacations? Because I hear from people a lot of times, they're afraid that if they go on vacations, it goes back to not trusting themselves, right? They don't trust that they're going to be able to keep themselves under control, whatever that means for them.
0: They they got to stop being fucking obsessed with control. Like Mm -hmm. why do you need to control every fucking aspect of your life? First and foremost. Secondly, if you are living your life in a way that you enjoy, if you're eating the foods that you enjoy on a day-to-day basis, vacation isn't some taboo thing that you just go hog shit crazy for, you know, when you do it. So there's no reason to go off the deep end and eat everything in sight because you haven't been restricting it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find that a lot with people too. They get so, they get so much anxiety around vacations when it's like, Hey, you know what? Like if we're creating a lifestyle, you shouldn't be restricting any of these foods and whatnot. Like you should be finding creative ways to implement these foods without feeling like you're never going to be able to have things again. Cause I get a lot of people that have like these trigger foods Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, I'm I'm going to use Oreos as an example. You know, I can't eat any Oreos. They can't be in my house. And so I had to give her a challenge, like, you know what, how about you go to the store, you buy the Oreo thins. So you're getting four cookies for the same amount of calories versus the two. And I want you to have that every single night. It's very much like Beth's candy challenge in October. And then halfway through, I mean, they get to night, you know, six or seven. They're like, well, I could give a shit less about these Oreos. And yeah. so that's the goal. Like when you go on vacation if you've been restricting, of course, you're going to get anxiety because you haven't transitioned your mindset into making this a lifestyle versus just another diet.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we see that with our clients too. When we do that exposure therapy is halfway through the experiment, they're like, Oh my God, this bag of Halloween candy has been sitting here and now it's new year, you know, like I haven't even touched it. It goes back to living a life that they, they need to escape from with, with vacation too. You know, because many people use vacation as as an escape from reality. When when that's not necessarily the healthiest way to go, to go go about it, as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know I've been I've definitely done that. I as much as I love to travel, um, I used to use travel as a way to escape and to to get away from you know the day to day responsibilities I was having and all the stress and everything that I had. Until I learned how to actually cope with those stressors and those triggers um, that were happening on a day-to-day basis. Now I can actually use travel to fucking do the things that I enjoy and and to feel good and just make new memories rather than escaping.
1: Yeah. And I like that you use that word escaping because I feel like that's exactly what people kind of internalize. It's like, oh, I can go completely off the rails because I'm, I'm escaping my reality. I'm escaping my day-to-day life. And so I think that when you really hone in on the fact that it's like, no, in order for to have a lifestyle, you need to be including these foods that you'd be eating on vacation. And just because you're on vacation doesn't give you the excuse to eat like an asshole either.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And you can use the same uh, vacation analogy and apply it to weekdays versus weekends, right? Oh, same yeah. fucking thing happens yes. there where people lose their minds on the weekends and they go balls to the wall and eat 4000 5000 calories it's because during the week they were saying i can only have 1200 calories or i can't have cake during the week because that's bad or that's that's weekend food you're labeling foods and you're creating these really shitty relationships with with food so again when you finally do have that freedom and when you're outside of your norm you're going to lose control
2: not to mention yeah. with the restriction the mindset piece but also the physical piece your hunger and hormones get whacked when you're in a calorie deficit totally and yeah. oh yeah it's no surprise that when people you know think They're monitoring themselves. They're absolutely not because their body is telling them, "Feed me."
0: (laughs) Yep. You can try to work against your body as much as you want, but that's going to be a losing, uh, losing battle every time.
1: Yeah, I was going to say eventually that's going to catch up with you, and it's going to bite you in the ass because I know that you know with weekends like that can be very difficult for clients. You know when you're out of your routine, and so one thing that I really like to say is if you're planning to go out a ton during the weekend, like you need to really start focusing on how are we going to set ourselves up for success? Like on my Instagram, every Thursday, I say, hey, let's start thinking about the weekend. What is this going to look like? Are we going to have a high protein breakfast like we normally do during the week? What are we going to do that's... Or I have people just flat out implement a weekend routine. Hey, what do you want your weekend to look like? At your best self, like when you imagine yourself at your goal, where you want to be, what habits does that person do on the weekends to make sure that they're continuing to keep this a lifestyle. And a lot of people are a little bit taken back from that. They're like, well, you know, and that version wakes up, eats breakfast, goes on a walk. It's like, okay, well, if you want to be that version, you're eventually going to have to start somewhere. So you might as well start now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Totally. And one of the biggest things with the weekend routines to kind of add on to that too is bedtimes. People stay up later yes, and yes. sleep in later. That's going to throw your entire routine off as well. So we do need a like you said, we need to maintain some type of normalcy and some type of structure mm-hmm. to our weekends. Yeah. We're humans. We love we love structure. We love structure.
2: Yeah. And we need some. I mean, when you think about children, children without any structure <laughs> are the worst children. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> Kids need boundaries. Kids (laughs) need structure. We're in some ways no different. Yeah. And we can still have that fun and spontaneity and like, you know, just going where the wind takes us to a certain extent. But it sometimes comes back to like, if you have a goal, something's got to change here. Something has to, there's like this dance between willpower and, you know, making things work for your lifestyle and, or not willpower is maybe not the right word, but some kind of discipline. Cognitive restraint. That's what I'm looking for. We've talked yes. about that before. Some kind of restraint, some type of self-monitoring, and also the internalizing that freedom that like
1: anything fits, just not all of it all the time. Exactly. I had posted a meme. Oh, gosh, I can't even remember how long ago. It might have been in one of our Facebook groups, but it got to the point where it's like, you know, if you feel like every single weekend you're going off the rails you're going to have to check that. You can't eat whatever the fuck you want, whenever the fuck you want. That's not really flexible dieting. It's, and I don't even like using the term flexible dieting, but that's part of it. Like 80, 20, that, that balance And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people at first, they have a really hard time dictating that balance when they're like, well, I can have whatever I want. So I'm going to have, you know, a burger every day at lunch at work.
0: And that's actually really normal. Yeah. My, it's very normal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the novelty of it, you know, it'll wear off after, like you said, it's what, you, what we do with the exposure therapy with our clients. They're they're just going to get sick of it. Most people will get sick of it.
1: Yes, definitely.
2: If there was one thing, maybe some homework that you wanted to leave our listeners with for the week ahead, something to practice, what would that be?
0: Mm. Let's practice mindful eating. Let's do the check-in and then check-out uh, before we eat and after we eat. So do this one meal a day make it the most convenient meal for you. If if the dinner's hectic for you and chaotic for you, don't try to do this at dinner dinnertime. Mm-hmm. Um, do it for lunch or breakfast when you have a little bit more me time. Um, so check in with yourself, journal it, write down where you're at, what you're doing, who you're with, what your mental and emotional state is, what your craving is. Then what you're eating, because maybe you're not honoring your craving, for instance, and then also do that hunger scale check. And then to on a scale of one to 10, with one being the hungriest you've ever been, you're starving and 10 being the fullest you've ever been. And it's miserable. Check in your hunger scale before you eat and then do that same check in afterwards with a where, who, what, craving and then the hunger scale. Do that for a week. Do that for a week. And you'd be amazed mm-hmm. by the awareness that you're going to bring to your dietary habits and to maybe some triggers that you haven't um, been dealing with as well.
1: I love that. Yeah. I'm glad that I took something away from this
0: podcast too. I'm <laughs> actually like
1: super pumped. I'm like, okay. Love it. I know I know how to implement this shit now. <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure. For Hell sure. yeah.
1: And I know I just kind
2: of did a wrap up, but the two things that you've said during the check-in was who you're with and your mental and emotional state. Mm-hmm. Those two things are huge.
0: <laughs> those are probably the biggest huge. part of that equation right there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yes. Do not sleep on that. And take what you've learned with you. You know, we never make the best decisions when we're in, a, we're in a heightened emotional state. So if you recognize that certain things are happening during those times, what can you do to prepare for the next time you're in a swirl? I call it a, a swirl when you're just swirling around in your mind (laughs) and who you're with. And sometimes that can affect your emotional swirl. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely.
0: Totally. Totally.
2: Well, cool. Thanks so much, Matt, for hanging out with
0: us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been great.
2: Yeah. Yeah, It's been awesome. Tell everybody where they can find you, follow you, connect with you.
0: Absolutely. So um, I'm Matt Larfit on socials on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Um, That's M-A-T-T-L-A-A-R-F-I-T. My main platform at the time is Facebook. So if you want to connect with me on there, um, my DMs are always open. Go ahead and reach out.
2: Awesome. And your podcast, Cut the Crap with Beth and Matt.
0: How did I not promote my, <laughs> my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cut the Crap with Beth and Matt. We call ourselves the world's number one, no bullshit health and fitness podcast. And I stand by that.
2: Yeah. Hey, yeah. I oh, agree. Yeah. Not just because you're my friends. It's a good <laughs> podcast. Thank with you. Some really, really good podcast. Hard hitting truths that people need to hear. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, thanks for hanging out again and everybody else. Thank you for your time. And we'll talk to you again. Same time, same
1: place. Okay. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tater Talks, two bitches talk fitness. If you enjoyed the show, let us know by writing a review, subscribing wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find me, Iris, on Instagram at Iris Deadlifts. And you can find me, Brooke, on Instagram at Get you a We'll
0: talk to you soon.
2: Nice. Nice!